Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is my co-host, a sports writer, radio personality, and lifelong H-Town sports junkie, Stephen Curran. Stephen, I hate rooting against George Springer. I hate it, hate it, hate it. I hope he hates being so mean to us, too. No, I don't think he does, Robert. I, I think, you know, his allegiance has shifted. He's now a Blue Jay. He's going to try to go after the Astros as much as he possibly can. Uh, no, I don't blame you. It, it's hard not it, – it's just so weird seeing him in the leadoff spot somewhere else and hitting two home runs in a game against the Astros, not for the Astros. Yeah, definitely a big heartbreaker. But is it any real surprise, actually? I'm worried about your allegiance to the Astros because you still haven't gotten an Astros cap. I'm still waiting for you to get one. Here. <laughs> yeah, I do need to get that. It's on my list. I'm, it's one of those things that I, I'm not a big cap wearer, to be honest. I, I just, I mean, I mean, I used to have a whole collection of them and I never wore them. So I just need to get one if for no other reason for the podcast props, right? Yeah, I'm pointing to my cap, right? As you yeah. were saying that, just to very, you were, you nailed it. Uh, Cause that's what I was thinking, but you know, Steven, I, I just got to give everybody on the podcast a, a quick heads up because, you know, last week I talked about the YouTube channel, right. look for that Houston sports talk logo. It's under my name. And if you're having trouble finding it for any reason, uh, it, it'll be right. You know, it'll be easy to find. You'll find the logo. Yeah. You just type in Houston sports talk. There is another Houston sports talk. Ignore it every single day. Steven, I'm putting up new videos. I noticed that. I noticed that. It's crazy. Like what's different about podcast stream from what the YouTube thing is, is I'm mixing in a ton of short clips, which is ideal for that three minute work break that you're like, ah, I need to, you know, wash my brain out with something else real quick. How about a little bit of Houston sports history or, you know, because that's what it is kind of different from anything you'll find on YouTube. Uh, do you want some samples from this week, Stephen, what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Before you get into that, let me just say another benefit, you know, to something like that is maybe you don't have a lot of time to listen to a full podcast, but you can get some of the clips of some of the best stuff and and still keep up. You know, you can, you can still have good water cooler conversations with your friends and then just check out some great Houston history. But what you got for us this week, Robert? Well, in the last week, we've had Coog's legend Cadillac Anderson explaining how Guy V. Lewis changed Cadillac's life. Barry Warner describes going to Yao Ming's house and seeing an unusual collection on Yao's <laughs> wall. That's all, the only hint I'm going to give you with that. A couple yeah. of perfect NFL draft clips uh, because, you know, that's been going on. Seth Payne talks about what he remembers from that Texans expansion draft when the Texans grabbed him and Gary Walker from the Jags. Yeah, we talked to the, uh, Seth Walker, or Seth Payne, I, I should say. Uh, also, Houston Sports Radio hosting legend. Oh, my God, this guy. I love him. Tom Franklin, always with yeah, great stories. And he too. talked about the guy who was Mel Kuyper before Mel Kuyper, Stephen Joel Bushbaum. I love listening to him when I was in high school. Way funnier and more any more. I think he's way more funnier and more entertaining than most of your current draft geeks. I would totally agree. And let me tell you, Joel Bushbaum, I, I just don't know how he ever did it, but the, the guy was a genius. I mean, he just knew so much about these guys. You had to love his his dialect. His, it just, yeah, and he could be quite sarcastic when he wanted to be in a funny way. Boy, I miss Joel Bushbaum. If nothing else, my YouTube page, it's going to be a Houston historical archive with great stories down the road. If you're a kid and want to learn about Houston sports history, it's a fun place to go. If you're older, you'll have a place to listen back 
to the memories. Meanwhile, you're still getting here and now, Stephen. It's still you and I talking about That's what's right. going on. That's right. So a little bit of you know the past, a little bit of the present, and hopefully looking forward to the future. Yeah, and just a favor for every listener, just subscribe to the YouTube channel. Throw, throw up a positive comment to any of the videos, too. It's all a help. You don't have to watch it all the time. I'm not expecting any of that stuff. You don't have to pay a nickel. This is all free. I don't care if you watch anything on YouTube. Just hit the subscribe button for us. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll get out of my Mattress Max cell mode and we'll get to the Texans shortly. But let's, I prefer to start off with the team that's actually playing games at the moment, Stephen. And are you a fan of Kyle Tucker in the six hole? Well, you know what, whatever it takes to get him off the schneid. And I think he's finally done that, Robert. And and one thing I've noticed about Dusty is he is, he's definitely not afraid to tinker with the lineup. If if there's a gripe that I have, sometimes I think maybe he tinkers with it a little too much, but when your offense has been so up and down the way the Astros offense has been, you know, you kind of have to, sometimes you just have to do some things to shake it up. And that's what Dusty's been doing. But Kyle, uh, Kyle in the sixth hole, you know, why not? He's batted just about everywhere else in the lineup the last couple of years. You and I are thinking in different terms because they haven't messed with it. Kyle Tucker is in the six hole like he was last year. Kyle Tucker, Tucker is in the six hole all this year. The problem is, Stephen, Kyle Tucker should not be in the six hole. He is not anywhere close to the sixth best hitter on the Astros. You know, we've seen a Ledmus DS in the three hole one game. Nico Goodrum in the two spot, another Kyle Tucker is one of your three best hitters, and I believe your best offensive weapon when you factor in his speed. Why? I don't understand this. Why is he in the six hole? Dusty's obsession with the lefty-righty thing has turned into a joke. There's nothing I hate more in baseball than the over-obsession with lefty-righty managing. And so he's like, well, I've got to put Brantley in the two spot, which means there's not two guys until Jordan, who's got to be in the four spot, which means Kyle Tucker's in the six spot. Kyle Tucker should be like leading off for this team. I mean, honestly, he's your best hitter. You got to put him higher in the lineup. We didn't have any problem with Springer batting in the leadoff spot with his speed and his power and all the things that he could do. What's wrong with Kyle Tucker leading off? Well, you know what? Yeah, that that's something I, we may have even talked about that at one point when we were trying to figure out who was going to replace George Springer. That, that name, we might have even brought up Kyle Tucker's name last year. I, I can't remember. But, you know, Brantley batting in the second hole, you know, here's something unusual, Robert. After 17 games, Brantley, he's only hitting 290. He's got a couple home runs, seven RBIs, 767 OPS. I mean, you know, he's still as consistent a hitter as you'll ever see. But the fact that he's batting below 300 after 17 games yeah, kind of a surprise there. So, yeah, you, you may have something to that one. It, it's this old school managing, I feel like. Like I said, over-obsession with the lefty-righty thing. So he's doing this lefty-righty all through the lineup. There's also this, you know, like you said, it's, well, Michael Brantley is the old guy. So I've got to give him some sort of, you know, he gets factored in because he is the old guy. So I got to leave him where he's at where really he should be batting sixth and Kyle Tucker should be batting second. I mean, I guess, you know, you think Brantley, well, he's just going to be solid and I can depend on him. You can depend on Kyle Tucker at this point. I think he's consistent. Yeah. I mean, of course he's had that really slow start this year, but you knew he was going to come out of that sooner rather than later. And and maybe that will change a bit. You know, when Jose Altuve gets back, you'll put him back in the leadoff spot and you can kind of get back to some doing some things, but 
Yeah, certainly Kyle Tucker deserves to be higher in the lineup, but I know, you know, that that whole thing with Nico Goodrum batting second in the lineup, what was that, like the first part of the season? I was really scratching my head at that. Nico Goodrum in the top of your lineup made absolutely no sense to me. So, yeah, Dusty in his lineups, as, as I said, it just kind of strange how he does some of the lineups sometimes. I don't get it. You know, you throw out, the Astros throw out, He's two wins away from 2,000. One of 12 managers to get to 2,000 wins. That's going to happen. And, you know, all the rest of the guys are in the Hall of Fame, except Bruce Bochy, who's not yet eligible. So, you know, Dusty's a Hall of Fame manager. But, you know, Stephen, it's just I get annoyed because it's it's a lot of the same complaints that we have with Dusty. And I get it. You know, they've done really well and Dusty does a lot of really good things as a manager, but to the same extent, I, I do. I'm just one of those new school people that feel like you put your best guys at the front of the order and you let them get as many at bats as possible because I want Kyle Tucker to get more at bats than Nico Goodrum. I'm sorry. You know, like, it's, <laughs> well, I, it, you know, what do you want from me? Yeah. I think most people would agree with that. Certainly. And you know, here, here's the thing about Dusty and, and you said it, He's done a lot of great things. I mean, the, the results have played out over the last couple of years. Yeah, they had that terrible regular season in 2020, but they still got far in the playoffs. You know, they they got far last year. They got to the World Series. So you kind of have to let things play out over a full season. There are going to be some stretches where Dusty's going to do some things where you go, huh? And some other stretches where the Astros offense, even when you have the right lineup, is just going to struggle. So I think you just have to let it all play through. And at the end of the season, if they don't make the playoffs or they get knocked out early, then we can sit and, and probably tear Dusty apart a little bit more. Oh, I like to tear him apart right now. It's I know you fun. enjoy. Well, it's one of the, the it's one of the things you enjoy about doing the podcast, Robert. What what would you do if you didn't have Dusty to kick around next year? Oh man, I mean, I love Dusty, but come on, Dusty, let's let's let, let's stop this madness. Get into the, the new school classroom a little bit more, Dusty. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah, and he says he is. He kind of pretends. He thinks he's one of those guys. Did he remind you, Stephen? He's he's that old guy that's like he's like the dad that's trying to be cool and yeah. he's telling everybody that he's cool, and and the kids are like, you know, just oh, come on. Yeah, it's like the the dad who wants to impress his kids. You know that he's up with the latest style, so he tries to buy something that's currently fashionable and the kids are just rolling their eyes. Yeah. That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Dusty, you've got your toothpick and you've got your bad lineups and you're yeah. going to have to get rid of one of those things. And, and not sure I'm panicking about the Astros offense. You mentioned it getting Altuve back. Hopefully the old Altuve will be b- back and help you out. But it's just one of those things that you're a little bit concerned early on that they're, they're not getting it together like they sh- I mean it, you're seeing it come around a little bit guy to guy but in a, in a group it's not happening but if there is a slight bit of panic that I'm having right now Stephen it's Jose Arquiti four starts 19 and two-thirds innings 552 ERA 1.42 whip 309 batting average against yeah His strikeout rate has fallen 13 strikeouts in 19 innings his numbers are odor Rizzi bad Ooh, mentioning Jose Urquidy and Jake Odorizzi in the same sentence, man, or in the same paragraph. (laughs) Yeah, that is a strike. I I mean, Jose Urquidy, it is a puzzle. I mean, he had those arm injuries last year that I know threw him off. And 
I'm just not sure what it is this year. Usually he doesn't cave in. And when, when he does get into trouble, he keeps the damage to a minimum. And this year, he just has not had it. And I, I, it just, you know, it appears to be a command thing. I mean, I hope that's all it is, that it's not some hidden injury that's going to come up in the next couple of weeks or month. And then, you know, he's going to be out for a stretch. But it is a real head scratcher with Arkiti because, you know, the Astros were certainly counting on him to uh, be, you know, in the middle of the pitching rotation and, and keep it solid. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of what he's doing. It's two bad starts and two eh, okay starts. You know, the two bad starts have been very bad. And the last game, it could have been way worse. Remember, Stephen, there was that one inning where yeah. it took three gold glove plays <laughs> to get yeah. three outs. Yeah, that's when you know, you, you know, you, your defense is a pitcher's best friend, can make a pitcher look a whole lot better than he actually is. And they did it in that game for sure. My patience with Brian Abreu has run out. I don't care if he throws 150 mile an hour fastballs. He can't get outs. Pedro Baez finally got the ouster. Abreu and Ronel Blanco are next on the list. And that's too bad because, you know, you keep seeing flashes from Abreu and you think maybe he's figuring it out. And, you know, but then he has another appearance where he completely falls apart. And Ronald Blanco, you know, he looked so good in spring training. You thought, well, maybe he'll you know, turn out to be a pretty good reliever, but he has struggled. So, you know, the, the bullpen, though, is going to go through its ups and downs. This is just what happens in the course of the season. I mean, we've had some good performances from some other guys, you know, even with Ryan Presley out. You know, Stanek has certainly picked things up toward the end of the bullpen. But, yeah, it is a bit of a concern, especially with Abreu, because he's been with the Astros long enough that you think he should be figuring it out by now. Neris, Montero, Stanek, great. Presley's healthy. You're fine. You don't worry about the bullpen. You'd like Phil Maton to get rolling. Maybe have another guy or two step up. Anoli Paredes, he's rolling in Sugarland. Just saying, <laughs> just saying. Well, he probably deserves another chance. I mean, he had that one and did great. And then the next year kind of fell apart and had to come back to the minors. So maybe he, uh, maybe he is a guy that you're going to call up, especially if the front part, you know, the, the middle relief does continue to keep struggling. Did you have any more Astros thoughts, Stephen? Well, just, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Ryan Presley's return is still, uh, you know, I know that they're looking for him to come back pretty soon. Luis Garcia, you know, he may not be throwing his best stuff, but he has at least pitched better of late. He's lowered his season ERA to 4.15, and he gave up those two home runs to George Springer, as we talked about. But other than that, he pitched great. If the Astros' offense had been any good, you know, they'd have had another win off their belt. So, you know, Luis Garcia, I think he he's going to be okay. He's, he's had some ups and downs, but I, I think really with that and then Altuve coming back, you know, we're starting to see – Maybe uh, hopefully a little more consistency from the Astros, both on the offensive and the pitching uh, parts. After 22 games last year, they were 11 and 11. After 22 games this year, they're 11 and 11, as you and I speak on Sunday night, May the 1st. So it's, you know, it's nothing to panic about yet. No, or about, no. you know, it, it feels like it's worse than it is. It's one of those deals. Well, and, you know, we talked last week, Robert, and they were seven and eight after 15 games this year. They were seven and eight after 15 games last year. And refresh my memory, Robert, what, what did the Astros do in 2021? I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think oh, they yeah. went to the World Series, didn't they? 
Oh, yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. So, no, it, it's way too early to panic. There are some new pieces in place, and there are just other things that, that happen through the course of a season. So I'm not particularly worried, you know, a little concerned about some things, but let's wait a little bit longer before we start hitting the panic button. Do you want to do this week in Astros history now, or you want to wait till after the Texans draft? Are, are you chomping at the bit to talk Texans? Or are you ready to get into your Astros history? Well, why don't we go ahead and do our Astros history? Why not? Just put it all together. Um, there are actually, I have a couple that involve Nolan Ryan, and they both occurred on the same day, just different years. So the first one I have was on April 27th, 1988. Nolan Ryan almost pitches a no-hitter. He, he might have added another no-hitter to his big collection it was against the phillies but he loses it in the ninth on a mike schmidt single and a lance Parrish double it ties the game but the astros do go on to win it in the 10th so they did win the game but nolan ryan didn't get his no hitter however five years earlier on that same day april 27 1983 ryan breaks walter johnson's strikeout record with his 3509th strikeout and you'll never guess who was on the receiving end or the, the victim of that strikeout, Robert. It was Brad Mills of the Montreal Expos. Yeah, you remember Brad Mills, right? Former Astros manager. Well, he got struck out by Nolan Ryan for the 3,509th strikeout and the record breaker. And get this, Robert. Nolan Ryan struck him out on a curveball, not his famous fastball. This curveball was pretty good, too, though. It, it sure was. I mean, we talk a lot about his fastball, but Nolan had some other pitches in his arsenal, and he wasn't afraid to use them. And the thing about Nolan Ryan is you talk about near no-hitters. There was a lot of those, a oh, lot. absolutely. Those. There were. That, that was just scratching the surface, only because, you know, it happened this week. But, yeah, we could go down quite a list of, of others throughout the whole course of a season. Okay, let's move to the Texans draft. And before we share our thoughts, I need to let you know that I'm working on future guests to break down this draft. I'm working on insiders who will have covered some of these picks, and I'll also have a guest or two to break it down in general. So keep your eyes on our feed. So, Stephen, Texans fans appear to be ecstatic over this draft, and I also saw some good reviews nationally. Pro Football Focus analyst Trevor Sikama said on Twitter, one of my Favorite drafts, quote unquote, so far, which says a lot because I am very accustomed to not liking Texans drafts, unquote. That sounds familiar. And RG3, Robert Griffin, said they're quietly having a top five draft, adding three playmakers to the defense, added protection for the QB, got an underrated running back in Damian Pierce, and got the Stefan Diggs, wow, of this class, and John Mechie, the third. Now, what you think of rg3 as an analyst uh, may depend on what you think of rg3 as an evaluator but everybody appears to love damian pierce steven chris sims also raved about him in a twitter post well you know what robert it, it just it reminds me of the whole recruit you know high school recruiting thing is you know we we rank who had the best recruiting class you know alabama and so on and so forth and that's kind of what you do with these nfl drafts and you know it's nice hey Look at it this way, Robert. People are actually saying positive things about the Texans nationally. When was the last time that happened? Tell me. I, I don't remember. It's been a while. So the fact that they are saying good things about the draft, you know, that that's nice to hear. But it's got to be done on the field. And, you know, Damian Pierce, a running back, they certainly need a running game because they didn't have one last year. He's out of Florida. But 
you know, one thing I will say about the Texans draft, at least Nick Casario did attempt to address pretty much every need that the Texans had. Offensive linemen, defensive linemen, wide receivers, running backs, you know, the, those sorts of things were real, you know, cornerback safeties, the whole defensive back thing. So they at least trying to address it. Now we just have to see what happens in the next year or two or three. Nine picks altogether. Yeah, nine picks. And I believe, you know, five of those picks came in the first 75, which I am pretty sure is the most that the Texans have ever had in the first 75 picks. I, I can't remember that they've had that many picks that early. Let's look at one of the guys that they picked, and it's Derek Stingley with their first pick because uh, he had only played 10 games the last two years. A lot of people weren't real sure they liked this pick, and this is yeah. my feeling on Stingley, Stephen, and I'll be interested to see what you think, but there, there are three major positions in the NFL besides quarterback that you look for high in the draft. The blindside tackle, usually the left tackle, your elite edge rusher, and a shutdown corner. And it's nearly impossible to find shutdown corners outside the first round. So there was no QB this draft. It didn't appear there was an elite pass rusher. The Texans didn't feel like they needed a tackle since they have Laramie Tunsil. So this move actually makes sense. Well, it does. I mean, logistically, yes, it does make sense that you would go for that shutdown corner. And and Derek Stingley has shown flashes of being that corner. He had that one great freshman year. But injuries have kind of slowed him down the last two years. I mean, I'm I'm just a little surprised that it was him that they picked that early on. But perhaps, you, you know, just again, you never know about these things. He may come in and just go crazy in the NFL, and that's what you hope. But I was a little surprised that it was him that they made their top three pick. Quick, did you know on Derek Steenley? Because I think a lot of people have heard the story. His grandfather was paralyzed by an NFL hit. The guy that hit him, Jack Tatum, his last season as an NFL player, he had one more seasons outside of the Raiders, very famous for being an Oakland Raider, was for the Houston Oilers, seven interceptions that year. That's right. Yep, that's right. It is kind of ironic. And, you know, when you say grandfather, you know, you're talking about Daryl Stingley. It's hard to believe that because because I remember, you know, I was growing up. I was in high school, I think, when that whole incident, when Jack Tatum hit uh, Daryl Stingley and paralyzed him. And, and it was during a preseason game. If you may remember, Robert, it wasn't even a regular season game. And just the fact that it was that long ago. And we're saying that this guy, Derek Stingley is his grandson. Oh my gosh. Do I feel old right now? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me about it. And you know, another thing about the cornerback as a pick, the Texans have chose three cornerbacks in the first round over their history. I was looking this up. After they made this pick, Dante Robinson, good yeah. pick until the famous Pay Me Rick incident. Right. Uh, right. He was working out. Then Kevin Johnson, just injuries killed his career. And then Kareem Jackson, great pick as a late first-round guy. So overall, I guess you would say mixed results so far with corners. One, one of three. I mean, yeah, that, that's not too bad anyway. So maybe uh, if Derek Stingley could come through, he'd be two for four. That's, you know, that's batting 500, right? Yeah, Stephen, I would still say one and a half out of – three because I don't know Dante was he was good I mean it just it, it kind of fell apart there yeah just a little short-lived maybe yeah yeah and, and let me get to the second pick in the first round for the Texans offensive guard Kenyon Green the scouting report on Kenyon Green fantastic run blocker some concerns about the pass blocking the only elite 
bulldozing run blocking guard in the last decade for the Texans was Brandon Brooks. So let's hope Green can figure out pass blocking. Definitely got the athleticism there. But this year, your guards will likely be bad pass blocking, Stephen, as I think about it, because they signed this Jags guard, A.J. Can, as a free agent. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've read much about him, but his reputation, great run blocker. So just like Kenyon Green, but uh, he's a bad pass blocker. So beware, Davis Mills. Yeah, and that's a little disturbing because Davis Mills is going to need all the pass protection he can get, certainly. And, you know, drafting Kenyon Green also brings up the question of, once again, we keep asking this year after year, what is, does this mean that Titus Howard is going to move to tackle now that you're getting some guards? Robert, what's your take on that? It feels like it's about to happen. I, I, I don't see how it's not going to happen based on what they've done in the offseason. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking, too. So that, that adds another element to it that maybe Titus Howard can finally find himself at tackle and then you've got some flexibility and just, yeah, you hope that Kenyon Green can come in and do a better job than some of these other guys have. But that is the one knock on him. You're right. I hope the Texans see the light on that. And Steven, it's been nearly four decades since a Houston pro football team drafted a guard in the first round. The last two times it was Mike Munchak in 82 and Bruce Matthews in 83 for the Oilers. Yep. They had a combined, it's worked out pretty well, by the way. They had a combined 16 playoff appearances, 23 Pro, pro Bowls, two all-decade teams, and two Hall of Fame invitations. So, hey, well, we can only hope. That yeah, Green- hope is about what we're going to see there. I, I don't know that I don't know that Kenyon Green's going to equal any of that, but you never know. I mean, the guy could come in and be a star. So, we, you know, from the Texans' perspective, we certainly need him to be at at least a good guard. couple thoughts on a couple of other guys that they drafted. I'll start off with Christian Harris. The scouts said Christian Harris, the Alabama linebacker that they drafted, was picked way too high. Now, my reaction is that Lovey appeared heavily involved in this draft from what I could see and what I read. So, yes, I worry about what I've heard about Harris, but Lovey's expertise it's linebackers. Yeah, it certainly is. And the fact that, you know, you've got Lovey as a former defensive coordinator and so well-versed in the defense. And, you know, the, some of the picks that they've made in this draft, quite a few of them were defensive-oriented picks. I, I'm feeling pretty comfortable about Lovey Smith having a lot of input on some of those calls. We're going to find out pretty soon. And also they picked a safety. Baylor's Jalen Petrie in the second round. I know some people thought they shouldn't have traded down in the first round, and instead they should have grabbed Kyle Hamilton with the 13th pick. Uh, This will be interesting because time's going to judge it. But, Stephen, despite the fact they didn't take a safety in the first round, this was the highest that the Texans organization has ever picked a safety. DJ Swearinger was a second rounder, but a little bit lower in the second round. Let's pray that Petrie (laughs) is better than swag was yeah better not only as a player but uh, as an attitude too i i just you know dj swearinger you just could see the volatility in him so yeah jalen petrie let's hope he's a whole lot better on both fronts with casario involved i'm guessing his football character might be a little bit better than than uh i think you're right the texans continued their tight end of year tradition with oregon state's tegan I'm going to screw his name up, and I apologize to the guy in advance, but it's I think it's Quitteriano. Quitter, I think it's Quitteriano. 
Yeah, something like Quitteriano in the fifth round, and that's five tight ends, five of them, since mm-hmm. the 2018 draft. So that's the last four years. And if you haven't read about him as a as a tight end, he's 6'6", 260, definitely a blocking tight end, very different from Brevin Jordan last year. But Stephen, the most obvious part of this year's Texans draft, when you look at it, is SEC. SEC. Yeah. drafted six of them, six players from the SEC, two from Bama, two from LSU, one Aggie, and a Florida Gator. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that I had forgotten that, Robert. That is quite a few. And you know what? Maybe the Texans, of course, they, you know, they'd be giving this away, I guess, but maybe they're thinking of lining up with a five tight end formation or something if they keep drafting all these tight ends. Another thing that is interesting about this draft, and you know what? Got no problem with SEC. It's a pretty darn good conference. Yeah. And a lot of good players, a lot of talent goes in there. Uh, It's the best in the nation. But the other thing that sticks out, Stephen, you were telling me before the the, the show started, how about all these Houston area guys going in the first in the, in the Texans draft and in in both the first round with Kenyon Green and it, it kept going? Yeah, well, yeah, three players drafted from the Houston area by the Texans. Uh, Austin DeCoulis, we I don't think we talked about him. He's the other LSU guy that you were talking about. He went to Cy Fair High School. Cal McNair also went to Cy Fair. You think there's a connection there? Eh, maybe not, but anyway. Uh, and we mentioned Kenyon Green. He's from Atascacita. And Petrie is from Stafford. Now, I don't know about you, Robert, but every time I think of Stafford, I think of Larry from Stafford, you know, the, the caller that calls <laughs> Sprig Hill sports talk shows that is one of the best, has just one of the best sports talk, talk callers I have ever heard in my life. I should have checked Larry from Stafford's Twitter follow because he might have had something to say about that is my guess. Yeah, might have, but uh, yeah, those three guys, definitely a local connection. And uh, I think Nick Casario even joked about it. He said, maybe we should call ourselves the Houston Texans Community College because of all the local guys and, you know, at least at least from this area. Now, you're not collegiately speaking, but certainly from this area as far as high school goes. Yeah, just a, a great, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how great a talent base Houston is. I mean, we, we used to talk about this, you know, I'd covered high school for ages here in Houston and we would talk about how, you know, it seemed like there was more Houston area talent than pretty much every state outside of like two or three, like you could pick everybody from the Houston area and you can comp them to just about every other state, except maybe a Florida uh, California, potentially something like that. But I mean, it's just loaded. And when you're getting Houston area guys, it's usually pretty good. Although recently the luck hasn't been so good with a couple of Houston area guys. So I'm hoping that, you know, it, it's going to change a little bit. Remember who was the the linebacker, the, the pass rushing linebacker that they got a, a few years ago. I'm blanking on his name, but uh, he was out of uh, one of the A-Leaf schools and, and just couldn't get on the field, just injured and injured and injured and injured. And he, he looked like he had a hell of a lot of talent, but you know, he, he came out with an injury at a, at a college and they, they just could never get him on the field. Yeah. And that's unfortunately been uh, some of the luck the Texans have had with some of these draft picks. And so, you know, that's kind of what you, you hope that something like Derek Stingley, who's had a few injuries the last couple of years that it doesn't follow him into the NFL, but it's all wait and see, Robert. I mean, it has generated some buzz. And, and like you said earlier, 
the national media is even talking positively about the Texans draft. So I guess we we better take those good vibes where we can get them as far as the Texans are concerned, because there haven't been very many lately, either on or off the field. Right. And I just feel like you just are looking for something to get excited about. And Texans fans were just excited about. We got a lot of picks and the, a lot of them look pretty interesting and kind of fun. And, you know, maybe a running back that's actually good would be nice to have. You know, we haven't seen one since Arian Foster and a wide receiver that, you know, that Davis Mills can throw the ball to would be kind of cool. And hopefully Mechie can do that and make it exciting and make the offense a little bit more interesting. And, hey, run blocking, that would be good for a change. So hopefully with Kenyon Green, you get that. So some of these things that we've constantly been talking about, they need to fix. They they tried to address it. We're going to see if it worked, but they tried to. Well, and certainly you're not going to fix all your problems in one draft, Robert. And we know that. And, you know, even in the, the next couple of years, you know, you've still got some picks from the Deshaun trade and some other things coming into play. And, of course, if the Texans do have another bad year, you know, they're, they're going to get some more higher picks. So, yeah, the, the job is certainly not done, but you've got to start somewhere. And at least for, on paper, it looks like they got off to a good start this year with this draft. Yeah, Casario's his whole sort of history is going to be written on this draft in a lot of ways, you would think. because Well, all you these even picks- mentioned that, I think, in a previous podcast, that this is a big draft for him just because – of all the hype that, you know, surrounding the Deshaun trade and all these picks. And I even said it myself, Robert, it's great to have all these picks, but you better get them right. At least most of them. Yeah. I feel like we, we state the obvious there, but it's just, that's facts. <laughs> you know, it's true. You- <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just the truth. Yeah. What else are you going to say? Uh, la- last thing I wanted to touch on uh, n- nothing else sports wise, right? Steven, you got nothing, not, no more Texans Astros. Was there anything else yet sports wise? Well, the only other thing I was going to say about the draft, Robert, and this didn't come as a big shock to me, but I do think it was interesting that no one, and I mean, no one from the Texas Longhorns got drafted. I think there were a couple of free agents that signed, but that's the first time that's happened for UT that they had no one in the draft at all since 1938. So, yeah, you know, Texas has definitely had some down years on the field. And this year, even in the draft, there was really nobody that jumped out. But I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, they got some work to do over at the 40 acres. That's for sure. Um, I I just I wanted to end on sort of a melancholy note here. Stephen, you're a big country music fan. And there was a note this weekend that I saw that uh, saddened me quite a bit because uh, Naomi Judd passed away. this past weekend and just a a country music legend. And I got a chance to meet her about 24 years ago when I was a news and sports videographer. I'm at a station in Little Rock. She was coming through as part of a motivational speaking tour on that same speaking tour, by the way, my reporter and I also interviewed Rudy Rudiger as in the real Rudy. So that was pretty fun to talk to him as well. But what a sweetheart Naomi Judd was. I mean, we got to spend some real time with her in her dressing room, and she hit it off with my reporter immediately. My reporter, very sweet girl, uh, Linda, she was fantastic. And so they got talking a little bit, and so there was an actual conversation. Sometimes these interviews, you know how it goes. Sometimes you get five right. minutes with somebody famous, and that's it, and you get to ask them the questions. But we talked to her for a few minutes, hung out a little bit, 
Linda did a longer interview. I don't think hardly any of that interview aired because, you know, in television, everything gets cut in television news to a short, you know, two or three minute type thing. But I tell you what, just I, I left the room thinking what a nice person. And she was in her early 50s at the time. And I was like, wow, just she's gorgeous. But there was that beauty that, you know, and I saw some people posting it, the same thing on Twitter, some of the country music people that knew her that she emanated the beauty from the inside and it was just she was such a beautiful soul and it was perfect that she was doing the motivational stuff because you know you you left after talking with her and just a regular old conversation feeling a little bit better and it's sad to see uh her go but i mean what a legacy she left and uh just one of my favorite famous people that i've met over the years yeah, absolutely. And that's quite a story, Robert. And it's rare to see that, that, you know, and I've had some interviews that turned into a conversation after the actual interview is done. So it's great that it, it doesn't surprise me that she did that because she was all about her fans as much as, you know, anyone else. And that was just her personality. I, I always felt, Robert, and this may come as a surprise to to people, but, you know, I always felt Naomi Judd was a better singer than her daughter. I just, I enjoyed her voice more. And of course, look, I'm, I'm a big 80s country fan. So the Judds were certainly high on my list, loved their music, loved both of them. But I, I just always had a certain affinity for Naomi. And it's just, it is sad. You know, I, depression is a, it's just, a, it's a terrible thing. And so many people suffer from it. She's battled it for years, along with some other things. And, you know, you just, you hate to see how it ended that way. She was 76, I believe. You know, so she certainly lived a, a pretty long life and touched a lot of people. So you just, you know, prayers for the the family, of course. And she was an advocate for depression. It's worth saying. And also, I want to point out, I got a chance to meet her daughter, not Winona. I got to meet Ashley. Yeah. And, I, and I'll connect it back to sports because I met her in a Kentucky Wildcat basketball locker room at the SEC tournament. And I remember walking in and I was like, oh, Ashley Judd's here. So I go out and I find a program and I come back and I ask Just Ashley Judd for an autograph. The autograph, I had her sign it for RG Seal, my former podcast yeah, host, your, that? your predecessor. And I mailed it to him and, and she was great too. But I didn't get the interaction. You know, it wasn't yeah. the long conversation. Yeah. It was a much quicker thing. And we, we were busy as well with our own jobs, trying to get, you know, Kentucky players and, and talk to them and get them on tape. But, oh my goodness, it was so amazing to both meet her and Naomi. And of course, Ashley, I was quite a bit bigger of a fan. I had a, a crush on Ashley. Like I think just about everybody did. This was, a, <laughs> was 20 years ago now, yeah. of course. Yeah. Yeah. She certainly made her, she paved her way in a different field. I mean, in a different niche basically. And uh, the judge, I mean, quite a family, you know, quite a heritage they left. So, yeah, definitely some sad news. Hate that we have to end the show on that. Maybe, maybe I should have done some Astros history to end it, Robert, now that I look back on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a tough one, but, you know, 76, uh, just a, an amazing legacy that she's left. And uh, as well as, you know, what she's done with her daughters, just the, the what what kind of people that they are as well. And, you know, just uh, really feel fortunate that I got a chance to meet her. And, and that's the positive is I think she left a legacy both in music 
and you know everything else that she put out into the world and so uh uh, just wanted to end with her and also remind everybody one more time before I close things out that I'm I'm going to have some people talking about the draft. It's going to come. I'm working on it. Uh, I have nothing set up for sure, but hopefully this week you're going to have some more podcasts to look out for. So keep an eye out for that. Always good to talk with you, Stephen. Same here, Robert. I always enjoy talking sports with you and uh, we'll do it again soon. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.